Because I have some beautiful things from in Canada um, that were, I had moccasins that were made for me with, you know, mink trim on the top and gloves with mink around them and beadwork and from the Ojibwe and stuff. And I have a lot of that stuff hanging on the wall. And But everything I have there was never used in worship. Before I, I get into that, because these questions have been asked, so I thought I'd just take this time maybe to answer some of these questions. But uh, this morning, my biological clock is still in... Uh, Iowa, and so I woke up at 4.30 or quarter to five and decided that uh, it was light out, and uh, <laughs> I would take a walk, so I, I took a walk, and when I got down here, there was this most awful noise. Anybody staying down here hear this awesome, horrible, mournful sounds that were echoing across the lake. It was very frightening. And so I walked up there to see what it was. And what happened was it was one of the missionaries looking at a support check. <laughs> but uh, if you go in my office, I have things that I've collected from all around the world. And, and I'm very careful about what I collect. And so there were some things at the table I were asked. I thought, well, if you get a number of questions in an area like that, probably other people are thinking about, about the issue of demonic attack in objects. And uh, so I thought we'd just look at that a little bit in um, 1 Corinthians. I believe it's 1 Corinthians. I, um, I'll find it when I look. I can tell you what page it's on if you turn to the right page. Uh, it's um, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And we have uh, here idol uh, idolatry brought in and idols brought in. You know, I told you that uh, we started, um, when we got rid of the television, we started collecting biographies. And we have about 600 Christian biographies in our library. And it's interesting, after warfare, I mean, I read them over and over again. After warfare, I went back and read them again, and I couldn't believe of all the old, standard, godly books of spiritual warfare. And you read the lives of these people, and they had to come to grips with the forces of darkness. J.L. Fraser, probably one of the most godly men that ever walked around. You read his life, Behind the Ranges, written by the Hudson Taylor's children. You read about his ready to give up in the Lisu village with a demonic oppression that was wiping him out. You know, he just... He just, they were tearing down their, their shelves. They were getting rid of their, 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 their demon shelves. And he was getting more depressed and more depressed and more depressed and was ready to quit until he got um, the Overcomer magazine, which I get from England, of Jesse Penn Lewis. And he read in there where Satan was defeated and to resist him. And you read how he's out there on the hillside just despairing of life and begin to resist the enemy and all that oppression left. And you just read the lives of these people and I'm going, how did I miss it before? And I read all those books, but I didn't believe in the enemy, and I just didn't. Well, they're Chinese anyway. I mean, after all, you know. <laughs> right? Isn't that right? I mean, after all, we're, we're Americans. Um, I mean, I'm saying this on the tape. I'm facetious <laughs> in case you don't pick it up. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, this, this guy's anti-Chinese. Uh, <clears throat> In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, Now, as touching things offered to idols, we know that we have all knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity emphasizes. If any man thinketh he knows anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. If any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning eating those things uh, which are offered to idol, we know the idol is nothing in the world, and there's no other God but God. And then he goes on and he says, you know, the idols can't see, they can't hear, they can't talk. An idol is nothing. It's just nothing. It's just a piece of wood or clay or whatever it is. Um, I don't know. Are your people into eagle feathers? Real, real strongly eagle feathers? I mean, medicine men must have eagle feathers so they can't operate and do their stuff. Okay. Um, anyway, so we, we, we know that the, the, the idols are nothing. That's what he says there. So then... You know, objects associated with idols, you know, or was an idol, that should be no problem. But chapter 10, he picks up the idols again, and he gives us some insight here that we've seen. 
Because we get so many, as I said, we get so many phone calls and they're on various different issues. Some are the great struggles with adopted children that families are having with adopted children. And we'll pick that up later on in the week. Why is it that so often adopted children, there's a greater struggle than with your natural children? Or uh, some adopted kids work and other adopted kids don't work. And that kind of thing. And the enemy involvement there and what's the scriptural basis for it. But uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, what shall I say then? I mean, 10.10 or 10.19. What shall I say then? Is the idol anything or that which is offered in sacrifice to the idol of anything? But I say unto you, and here it is, that which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I would not that ye should have koinonia fellowship with demons. It's interesting, isn't it? He's telling Christians, don't have the koinonia fellowship in the Greek that's reserved between Christ and the church to have it with demons. So he's not writing about something that can't happen. Would he? Would Paul warn us about something that's not possible? He says, you can't drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of the devil. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the devil's table. Now, what he's saying here is that the idol is nothing. But demonic spirits can be associated with the idol so that when you have that object in your home, guess what else you have with it? The thing that's associated with it, the thing that gave it actually the power, if there happens to be a thing attached to it. So that's one thing that we do, that when something is going on like that, when people, and some of you have talked about seeing things in your home. You already came to me. You've seen things in your home. So I'm not talking to people that are not struggling here or have not dealt with it here. I've seen spirits in your home out where you're living. You know they're there. In fact, I think it's two or three people have told me they've had spirits in there. They know they're there. So the question is, why are they there? That's the question. It's not that they're there, but why are they there in a way that you know they're there and it's, and it's an uncomfortable thing? I mean, it's rather uncomfortable. When I was in the Apache Reservation, I had to go through more houses and get rid of spirits out of rooms. And they said, well, you told us how to do it, but you know how to do it. You do it for us. You, know, you, you do it for us. You, you. And it was interesting. No one will go in the room. They all know there's spirits in that room. No, no one will sleep there, and they have relatives. I don't know if your people have it, but on their patchy reservation at nighttime, you step over people like cordwood. I mean, the living room on the couches on the floor. I mean, everybody's, the houses are full of all their relatives that are passing through or whatever, but that room's empty. They'd rather sleep on the floor and sleep in a bed in that room. Who wants to sleep in a room that a spirit's in? Now, how they think that spirit's just going to stay in that one room, I don't know. But they won't go in there. So what, we, what you want to be sure that if you bring someone in your home, bring something in your home, you don't want to bring something into your home that you know that has been associated with worship of spirits. It's just not a thing to bring in your home. There's all kinds of, as I said, I have all kinds of Indian things on my wall and all of that, but none of it's been used in worshiping spirits. If all of a sudden, out of the blue, as we've been talking to some of the missionaries here, something like that begins to happen and you know that something's going on in your house, you need to figure out, did we bring anything into our home at the time this started? You know, just connect. Did we bring something in? And if, you're, if there's something that's suspicious, we just have people take it, put it in their garage or in an outhouse, or outer house, not, not outhouse necessarily, because I'd rather have demons in the bedroom than in the outhouse, you know? Because <laughs> sometimes when you got to go, <laughs> right? So, um, but outside, and just ask God to cleanse the home. And if it stops, then you know, then get rid of the thing. If it doesn't, then you know that obviously it probably wasn't that thing. It, it's something else that, that is going on there. So, um, I mean, people get carried away with cleansing their home. It really bothers me. You know, I see them, you know, pulling up the carpeting because it was woven in China. You know, just all this stuff. It's just unbelievable. You know, their suit was in Taiwan. Their clothes are gone. And it just all of this. I'm going, wait a minute. This don't get carried overboard. But if there's something going on, ask your question, why are we having this kind of a struggle in our house? Because it's not the kind of struggle. God doesn't want us to live in fear in our homes. Our kids to be terrorized in their bedrooms. We have kids that are terrorized. Things come out of the closet and the kids see them and all this kind of stuff. This is not something that has to take place. It's not a way that we're to live. We're not to live in fear of the enemy. He's been defeated. And if he's being activated in my home, I need to figure out why at this point in time are we coming under a lot of, of unnecessary kind of activity in our house. 
Um, in fact, I guess I'll tell a story now. Um, Bernie Wiley's here, and uh, Bernie and I met under unusual circumstances. I don't know, how long ago was that, Bernie? Eight years ago? Long time ago. Well, Bernie was in a meeting where I was speaking, and I was sharing how they were interviewing a demon on CBS. Um, I, in St. Louis, they have the largest radio station, and they, and I had, our missionaries were home on furlough, and we had a, for CEF, because we have so many missionaries, and our headquarters is quite large. We, we have 120 people that work in the home office there, and so you can imagine 120 people, and then your missionaries and stuff, we can have three, 400 people on the grounds of, of the headquarters. And so it was a missionary refresher, and I was teaching, but my daughter showed up with a brand new baby. Well, so I went home after I taught the missionaries, zipped on home, spent time and had to zip back to eat lunch with the missionaries, sit at the table and talk to them. Well, on the way back, I turned on the radio and a demon was talking. And I heard demons talk out of people so much. I go, that's a demon. I can't believe it. this is CBS St. Louis. And I knew it was a demon. And they were inter doing an interview show. Well, they were interviewing a New Age Chandler that let his, the spirit come up, and they were interviewing the spirit and the Chandler on CBS. And at the end, this demon gave an invitation. And the invitation was, are you lonely? There are many of us out here. This is a demon of a, supposedly a spirit of a doctor that died 100 years ago. And if you're lonely and, and you're in the St. Louis area and you would like to have a friend, just right now, ask one of us to come to your home. We won't leave you. It was a better invitation than Billy Graham. And I was thinking, how many elderly people are listening to this that are lonely that this spirit is instructing them how they can have one of these in their home to be with them. It just, it's made me sick. Well, anyway, I shared that story. And when I did, we were in a building with no walls. It wasn't Alaska. And uh, I don't know what you call them. But anyway, Bernie takes Caleb and heads off for the dark. Well, I thought, well, that's good. He's tuning him up. You always need to tune kids up in meetings every now and then again. You know, and I'm going to bring him back. Well, what happened was a demon spoke to Caleb during the service. And... Um, so the next day, I didn't know what happened because he never came back. And uh, so the next day, Bernie said, can you talk to Caleb? Now, Caleb, he'll love this. <laughs> That's what Caleb looked like. Now he's six foot and whatever. But anyway, he was just a little guy. And um, so I said, sure, I'd be glad to after I speak. We had a morning meeting like this, and, and they had a motorhome. And, so, and I'd never talked to an, a, a young child like this. And I thought, I don't want to damage him. But, and he was already struggling, so what could I, you know, how much damage could it do to his son? So uh, as we, after I spoke, we went to the motorhome, and as we're going upstairs, Caleb turned around, he looked at me, and he was, what, eight years old, nine years old, and he said, Mr. Logan, are you good at this? <laughs> and this is my early days in all of this, you know, I'm just getting started, and now, you know, I'm still wet behind the ears, and hadn't done all my Greek studies and everything that I wanted to do, so I feel more comfortable, and and I said, well, um, I, said, um, I said, why? And he said, I've got big problems. And I said, well, Caleb, I'm, I'm really going to pray. And as we walked in the door, I just got, you know how God gives you a rhema? Just out of the blue, I got a verse. And it was part of uh, 1 John 4, 19b or something in there. And it said, I'm in Christ, the wicked one touches me not. And I said, Caleb, you know, have you heard this verse, I'm in Christ, the wicked one touches me not? And he said, that's a good one. You know, Caleb was prepared. He had a Bible a paper and a pencil, and he was going to take notes. He was serious about this. He didn't want this thing talking to him. And so he wrote it down, and the Lord just gave me this out of the blue, just an illustration that, that I haven't used a lot, but at that time it was just exactly what God wanted me to say to Caleb. And so I thought, well, how do you talk to an eight-year-old about spirits that are talking to him? <clears throat> and out of the blue, I mean, just started. And so I... I um, I said to Caleb, I said, have you ever been to the zoo? And he said, yeah. I said, did you ever go to the snake house? He said, yeah. I said, you're kidding. Oh, he's a real serious kid. I don't know if he's still serious, but he's real serious. And he said, and I, I knew I had to play him along. I had to get him to ask me a question. So I, was, I said, man, you went to a snake house. You really went to a snake house? A real snake house? He said, yeah, Why? I said, Caleb, there's poisonous snakes in there. He said, Mr. Logan, there's a glass. And then you know what he said to me? Jesus is a glass, isn't he? Eight-year-old. I said, yes, Caleb, Jesus is a glass. And we talked for a while. And then he said, 
have you ever seen a spirit? And I said, no. He said, I think I saw one last night. I said, really? And in their motorhome, they, I don't know if you guys still have the same motorhome. That thing's still running? <laughs> it had these square glasses, you know, the square, what do you call it, the, the, you know, the thing over the light bulb that, in the ceiling. And his, his brother, who was younger than he was, laid on the, they take turns, one laid on the floor and one would lay on the, the, the bench there so they didn't have to open the whole thing up and close it every day. And he said, last night I was laying on the floor here, Mr. Logan, and I looked up, everybody was in bed and everybody was asleep, and I looked up in that light that's just that one lit up, and he described a face that he saw, and I knew by that time I had seen people's eyes change. Have you ever seen somebody on the influence of spirits? You, their eyes change. I mean, you pick it up in their eyeballs right away. And he, he described, and they don't watch television, and they don't see spooky movies, but Caleb described something pretty spooky, and he described its eyes and the way it looked at him from that light. I said, well, what did you do? He said, I, I, I didn't wake up my dad. I didn't want to bother him. And uh, I said, well, what did you do? And he said, well, I did what my dad told me to do. I said, what was that? He said, I just said, in the name of the Lord Jesus, leave. I said, what happened? He said, well, it left. <laughs> Doubting Logan. <laughs> it got honor, that eight-year-old. And we're having kids that are resisting. They do a better job than their folks. They just believe that God says resist the devil and he'll leave. And guess what? They believe it. And so he left. And I said this to the boy at the end. I said, you know, it's so interesting. I said, you know, Caleb, I said, God must have something very important to do with your life for the enemy to attack you. So he knows that. And it must be very, very important. And he said, what do you suppose it's going to be? And I said, well, I'm not sure. He said, uh, do you think I'll know by the time I'm 15? I said, when you're 15, you can be a CF summer missionary, and you ought to be a CF summer missionary and learn to lead kids to Christ. It'll help. And he said, I like to sing. Maybe I'll be a professional singer. I don't know if he's still into that. And uh, so they rang the bell for lunch, and he ran off. And this was what was so thrilling about to me. Here's a kid that saw a demon, resisted the demon, voices are talked to him. I mean, what more problems could a kid have at eight years of age, right? And he's running up the hill, and Bernie was up ahead, and he ran up, and he said, Dad, Dad, guess what? And I thought, what's going to fall out of his mouth? You know, you know what he said? God's got something special for me to do with my life. Isn't that neat? I mean, that was the, the, you know, the, the enemy's over with. God's got something special to do with my life. And so when something goes on like that, or it's going on in your home, you need to check out why. One of the things that we found, and this happened, uh, was clued in, in in Taiwan, the Presbyterian Seminary there. They were having demons walking down the hall. And they'd pray through and ask God to cleanse the, the place, and everything would be fine for a while, and then wamble their back again. And they come here, what is going on here? Say, are, are some of you guys into sin? You know, are you doing some stuff here? You know, because they, of course, had an animistic background. No, no, honest, we're not doing anything, but there's demons here. And you know, your animistic people know when demons show up long before we do. They know when they're there and when they're up and down the halls or whatever. So one day they were going to do some building on that on that seminary, and all of a sudden as they did the looked at the whatever the the legal rights to the ground or whatever. The seminary, the building was built over a Buddhist cemetery. They dedicated the building to God, but they never gave it, dedicated the ground. And when they dedicated the ground and commanded anything associated with that ground to leave that was not of God, nothing has ever walked up and down the halls of that seminary. And so it may be that if you're having a struggle in your house, that the house that you built in that village was built on ground prededicated to the enemy. And so not only when you pray through your house and ask God to cleanse it, also have him cleanse the ground. Now, I'm really concerned about this whole thing of going into Christian magic. And we're seeing a lot of people going into that, and it really grieves my heart. In the Sioux Reservation, most all of the the Indians, the Christian Indians, are synchronizing or syncretizing. They're taking Christian things and they're taking animistic things and they're putting them together. Now, they don't tell the missionary what they're doing. Because, see, if you've lived your whole life in fear of spirits and no one has taught you the power of Christ, then when it comes to those areas that you're not sure of, what do you do? You deal with them as your ancestors has always dealt with them. And so 
one of the very strongest Christians in this church asked me this, and I didn't even know what it was. They said, what do you think of tobacco ties? I said, tobacco ties? I didn't know what they were. Well, tobacco ties, they take flannel and cut squares, and they, they put tobacco in it and tie it up, and they string them. And you put them in the windows in your house, and it'll keep spirits out. And so the Christians have tobacco ties in their windows to keep spirits out. Or they bury them in the ground outside where you can't see them, and that'll protect them from spirits. Is that the protector? And yet, I have Christians putting olive oil in the windows to keep spirits out. I said, only lets them slip in quicker. <laughs> olive oil has never kept a spirit out of anybody's house. See, the one who keeps him out is a protector, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to be very, very careful that we don't take objects and make them into something that they never were to be. Now, if you're into anointing the windows and doors, that's fine, but realize the oil is not what's doing it. Isn't that right? And that's what I'm talking about, Christian magic. We're getting into a lot of this mysticism. You hang things on the wall, and you put a scripture, you know, put the Bible by your bed, and, and, and the spirits will go, and all of that kind of thing. And we're seeing a lot of extremism in that area. And that's just as wrong as tobacco ties. It's just as wrong. God is our protector. So go through your home. Dedicate the, Every home ought to be dedicated to the Lord to be a lighthouse in the community. When people step on your property, they, may, they should sense that a believer lives there. That the Spirit of God is dwelling there because he's dwelling the believer. There should be a difference between your house and the animistic house next door. And when people come into your home, they should sense the presence of Christ there. It's very, very important. So dedicate your home to the Lord. Dedicate the ground to the Lord. Ask God to put his very special protection around. If your kids are going through uh, some nightmares, we have, we have you claim Psalms 3 and Psalms 4. I will lay down and sleep in peace, for thou, Lord, only causes me to dwell in safety. God, protect my child when they're sleeping. You know, just put that very special protection around. They don't wake up screaming and having these night tears, night after night, night after night, that kind of thing. So that's some things that, that you can do. But if something keeps going on, check through your house. Is there an object there? Now, I'm not very sensitive to spirits. I'm very unsensitive. But when we were in Guatemala, I mean, in, uh, in yeah, Guatemala, down at Lake Atlan, where I got that shirt yesterday, we were walking through where they have their stalls. And, well, I'll tell you, the, the walk between probably isn't any wider than those, that row of chairs taken out. And then they have these stalls with the walls. If you ever been in South America, and they sell all their stuff, you know, one will have all leather stuff, and one will have weavings and blankets and just everything under the sun for sale. And they're long, could be a block long that you walk. Well, as I was walking down, we came to a, a section, and I got a bad feeling. I'm sort of, you know, I don't get them that often, but boy, I'll tell you, I got a real creepy feeling. And I couldn't figure out why the creepy feeling. Because the wall that had the clue, I couldn't see. It was on the other side of it. And I was coming this way, and because you're so close, until I got there, and I said, you know, I'm getting, there's just a bad feeling here. And we got around, and we looked, and here on this wall were carved masks. Now, I didn't know anything about these masks, but carved masks for sale to tourists to take home. And the missionary said, you know those masks, they use them at Easter time. You know, when you have a animistic and Catholicism put together, you get some real heavy-duty stuff in South America because you get all this religion with spirits. And the guys put those masks on. They carve them, and they're, not, and they're not real smooth carvings. And when they put the mask on, they dance. But when they put the mask on, the men become demon-possessed, and they take on the actual... Just They said, if you saw it, it's the creepiest thing. The guy has a mask of a dog. You would think you were looking at a dog, the way this guy's acting in the parades and stuff. And they take on somehow a demon is associated. Do you want to take one of those things home with you? It's a tourist thing. Something that is associated with some of the most evil, vile, demonic activities there. And it just was so oppressive. And I didn't even see it. I mean, I didn't see them. And then when they told me, I said, it's no wonder I had these feelings. These, these masks were associated. So that's the kind of thing you want to help people with is, you know, are there things in their home associated with worship? Okay. Oh, we can't be through. Are we through? Am I through now? Or do I get to 10.30? What, what time am I through? Some guy said, you were three before you started. <laughs> um, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 1. 
You know, the question in dealing with enemy activity, if you can keep this question in your mind, the question is not what, the question is why. Isn't it? It's not what's happening. That's not as significant as why is this going on. It, it hasn't got a right to go on. It should not go on. I belong to Christ. He's my protector. And if this is going on, I need to figure out why it's going on and then stop it. And you take care of it, and then what's going on stops. And we have all kinds of testimonies of people of what happened when they removed objects and did this kind of thing. I mean, I could tell you stories. Uh, the story of his son is, and I guess I should tell him, that Caleb has not had a demonic struggle for eight years. Once he resisted the enemy and the enemy knew there was no point fooling him with that kid, he's left him alone, basically. He's never had voices, never sees anything eight years. He's, he's not had that experience. And so it isn't always a terrible thing to have to come to grips with the enemy, resist him, and then walk in new victory. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, we want to look at this because this is really our stand in victory, and that's what we want to talk about today, standing in victory. When we say Ephesus, to me, I knew it was a city somewhere, someplace, probably under a lot of rubble and dirt. I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. And it's a, we really need to understand the city because when you said Ephesus in Bible days, it's like saying Rome to a Catholic. And when you say Rome to a Catholic, what do they think of? That's our headquarters. That's our pope. That's the head of our religion. In Bible days, when you said Ephesus, that was the headquarters of the religion of Artemis. And everybody in Asia Minor was involved in it. The people of Colossae adopted that religion. They were into that religion. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could win people to Christ that had no religion? It just, there just isn't. And Paul's really concerned because he knew what they taught. He knew what they believed. And he was concerned for these people. Because they had two major, main, well, a lot of belief system, and you, you want to wrestle through a book, but it's wonderful. It's Ephesian Power and Magic by Clinton Arnold. It's his doctor thesis that he wrote at the University of Edinburgh. It's the best commentary uh, dealing with the demonic issues of Ephesians, and he did not believe in demonic issues when he started writing the book. And when he got through, he went back to Talbot Seminary where he teaches, and he just came up to Neil Anderson, and he said, do you know that spirits are real? Neil said, yeah, I do. <laughs> and he said, Neil, they really are. And how did he come to the conclusion? Because people were falling down and having seizures in front of him? No, because he did a Greek exegesis of Ephesians. That's how he knew they were real. That's how Clinton had to come around to it. Not from experience, but from the word of God. So in Ephesians, there were two major things that they struggle with. One is, as the, what you know, as you think of, because most of us don't, unless you studied about Ephesians and Ephesus, you didn't realize I never knew that the religion they believed in was the religion of Artemisism. I thought it was the religion of Diana. See, the headquarters for the religion was in Ephesus, and they built the temple to Diana, which is still considered today by architects as one of the ten wonders of the world. And the, the, the idol of Diana was in this temple, and there were a thousand girls that provided sexual experiences for the worshipers every day. And this religion went all over. So it was heavily involved in immorality. It makes a very relevant book. The second thing they were involved in was demons. And so that's why Ephesus is, I mean, the book of Ephesians is one of the best warfare books written because he's dealing with people coming out of a demonic background and a sensual background. And Paul wants them to really come out of it and to walk into victory. So with that background, and you look at Ephesus, and you look at this book, and you study Clinton Arnold's, and Clinton Arnold's take a paragraph of one of the teachings of Artemisism, and then show you Paul's answer. And all of a sudden, you start reading the teachings of Artemisism, and you know what it is? New age, through and through. This, the book of Ephesians, is the book for today. It's dealing with the issues and the struggles of the people today and the young people today and their belief system. So let's look at Paul's prayer. This is his prayer. This is one of the warfare prayers in the book of Ephesians. And with that background, it helps us to understand what Paul is praying about here and his concern for these people coming out of this demonic stuff because what happens if you don't come out of the demonic stuff far enough? You're back into it. It's very, very hard 
to come out. Oh, I gotta share this with you. Cleansing a house. When I was in uh, Ghana, the uh, assistant ambassador from Togo asked me if I would come, uh, the assistant ambassador of Togo to, to Ghana, if I would cleanse their home. First of all, dedicate their children to Christ and then cl cleanse their home. And I said, sure, I'd be glad to go over there. Well, they speak French and I don't, so I need an interpreter. So World Vision gave me one of their interpreters to go with me so that my prayer could be put into French. So we went in the home and... and um, over there, um, children are a blessing. You know, uh, the abortion clinics I don't think would do well. And um, so when I went to dedicate the children, I knew this lady couldn't have that many, or she had litters. But they got, they got all the babies of all the servants. I mean, they wanted every kid in the house dedicated, so they gathered all the kids together, and there's a room full of kids. And, and so I was praying and dedicating his children to the Lord and asking to set a pride, a life partner for them to be willing to wait. And they would do great damage to Satan and the kingdom when they grew up. And I, I gave them a real, you know, 50-buck prayer. And um, <clears throat> they were really thankful because they were interpreting it. And, and they were going, amen, amen, because these are real believers. Um, and then they said, would you come to our home? and dedicate our new home. We haven't moved in. We're moving out of this. We're moving into a new home, and they're redecorating on the inside of it. So we went to this, the assistant ambassador's home, and let me tell you, Africa has two kinds of homes, dumps and palaces. And this thing was absolutely gorgeous, huge. The living room was bigger than this. I mean, you could really have a lot of embassy parties there, huge, great big living room. And their bedrooms were upstairs. And out of the living room, you went to a huge area that had brick, up that you could see through, you know, that, those, those cement blocks that are decorated blocks that let the wind blow through, but it was covered over, and they had a terrazzo floor where they could have outdoor eating and all, and the kitchen was off of that, and over that wing was where the kids and, and, and visitors would live, and over the huge living room area, I mean, just the mammoth living room, was some offices and the private suite of, of the ambassador or assistant ambassador. So we, we prayed through the one side, prayed to the other, we went upstairs, couldn't get into where the, their bedroom would be, but put my hand on the door and just prayed that God would cleanse this whole thing and that people would sense the spirit of Christ there. And, and then we went across the little balcony to the, and we're going into where all the children's bedroom and, and all the servants would live and all that stuff, which is huge. We couldn't get in there either. So I put my hand on the door <clears throat> and I prayed. All of a sudden, my hand's being pushed off. Now, the door wasn't open, but my hand was being shoved off the door. And I don't, <clears throat> I come from a conservative background, so I don't do that kind of praying. You know, I don't do that. <laughs> so <clears throat> I'm just praying in my quietness against this, 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 this pressure. But my interpreter has got the ghost. <laughs> he was going. I don't know what he was saying in French, but let me tell you, he was getting excited. And I'm staying calm and cool. And he was really getting excited, and they were, you know, agreeing in their spirit with him. I was hoping he was saying the same thing I was. <laughs> after I got through, and then after we commanded anything there, it was not of God to leave. It stopped. And this fellow said there were spirits, wasn't there? My African interpreter. He speaks English real well, and French and a lot of other languages. And I said, yes, how did you know? He said, I sensed them in my spirit. He said, you know, they were Chinese spirits. I said, really? He said, yeah, they were Chinese. So that's amazing. So um, the, the ambassador was glad they were gone. He didn't care what kind they were. <laughs> but they were out of the place where their kids were going to be. And we dedicated the property all around to the walls. And they always had these places surrounded with walls. And they got to put angels all around the outside. And this would be just a really a lighthouse in Ghana for the Lord. Later on, they checked. And guess who lived in that house before this couple was moving in? The Chinese. It was a Chinese assistant ambassador to Ghana. I didn't sense it. I don't have that kind of discernment. I didn't know. But boy, my interpreter knew exactly what was going on. And God cleansed it. But I could tell you a lot of stories. But, you know, it's exciting how God, you know, if you don't have the discernment, sometimes someone that's with you just gets a discerning something in their spirits. You know, I think this is specific what's going on here. Pray for it. Paul praying for them. Verse 15. Wherefore, I also, after heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love of all saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention in my prayers. 
So here is request. First of all, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. It's so vital that you and I would have wisdom. James says, if any of you lack what? Wisdom, let him ask of God. What is wisdom? What is this thing Paul is praying for? When I was growing up, I always wanted to go to the Rose Parade. And I saw it on television. I grew up in Los Angeles, and it's just out in Pasadena. It's not that far away, and my folks would never go to anything like that. So when I graduated from high school, my cousin and I went to the Rose Parade. And we got there about 3 o'clock in the morning or 3.30, and people were already there. I wanted to stand right on the corner. I wanted no one in front of me. I wanted to see this thing. But I was two or three people back. I was it's good to be that close. And as we were watching the parade, and you just you can't believe that parade. You have to see those floats. They're just fabulous. I mean, television just doesn't do justice to those things with all those flowers. And they were coming by and the bands and all that, and all of a sudden there was nothing. This float went down that way, and we could see it down a little bit, and you look up this way a little bit, and nothing was coming. Now, if I made a decision on the basis of what was happening, what should you do? Go home. But the people at home, they were seeing the parade from the perspective of a helicopter, and it showed the whole parade, and three blocks up or four, or maybe from where we were, a float had broke down, and they were getting a tow truck to tow it. God says, I want you to have wisdom. Wisdom is getting the helicopter perspective. Seeing life from God's point of view. Because with your wisdom, get understanding. As the proverb says, make wisdom your goal, get understanding. What's understanding? Now I see it from God's perspective. Now I know how to respond to what's going on. Otherwise, I can respond as a natural man. And there's a way that seems what? Right unto men, but it's the ways of death. And we need God's wisdom. And he's praying here. If they're going to come out of this demonic, sensual religion, what are they going to need? Wisdom. They're going to have to see this thing. You can argue with your people until you're blue in the face, but until God gives them wisdom about what it means to try to live in two worlds, trying to appease the Lord on one hand, and then appease and do things because of fear of, of spirits or somebody's sick or what's going on here. And it's so hard to get out. When I was in Africa, I spoke in a large church in Nigeria. 1,500 people were in the church, and people were standing outside. And because I believed in water spirits and I just dealt with the, the, the secret police, the son of the secret police of Ghana was free going to Bible school. This guy was just horribly attacked by demonic spirits. And we set him free and his dad was into water spirits. If you know anything about Africa, the Africans are afraid of water spirits, the most powerful spirits that you deal with. And so when I mentioned water spirits, they're going, wait a minute, this guy knows something. I shared it right away. Well, I'll tell you, the Africans were with me in that whole service. They wanted everything I had to say about spirits. Afterwards, I was counseling. There was, they said two to three hundred people standing in a line for me to counsel after the service. And so I'm sitting with the pastor and all the elders, and we're in there for about three hours, and finally they said they had to go. But I just want you to realize how ingrained this is. I mean, I know you know it, but maybe you don't know it. In walks a fellow. He and his wife sit down, very well dressed. He went to Harvard or Princeton. He's an African, has a doctorate's degree, is a vice president of an oil company. His wife is getting a special master's degree in nursing, specialized nursing in England. Now we're talking about a very well-educated African couple that know the Lord Jesus Christ that go to a Sudan interior mission church. She has no children. And in Africa, that is the worst thing that can happen. Absolutely worse. His family's putting pressure on you. were a Muslim, you became a Christian. Divorce her and get another wife. If you're a Muslim, you could capture and got another one. See how wrong you were to leave. Because this is the most horrible thing for a man not to have any children. And so they've been wrestling with what to do. And this man asked me this question, as sincere as anything. And here we have this educated man in America and a believer. He said, there's a juju man in a certain town that everybody that goes to him, he opens the womb and they conceive. Should I go? And your people are doing the very same thing. Will they speak out against an animal? Really? Derogatory about a bear? Why not? Are they living under? You know, is there still some old ways there? What's wrong with about talking badly about a bear? Unless I saw the video, I wouldn't have known. You know what I'm saying? How much of their lives is being regulated by the fear of spirits that are believers? God hath not given us 
the spirit that causes fear. That is not of God. They've got to be set free. Jesus came that we might be what? Free and free indeed of all of that. And I know it's hard. I didn't grow up in an animistic home. I wasn't raised to be careful about spirits and offending them and all of that. But people all over the world are coming clean of that. And they can. The Indians can too. And they seem to be the hardest. I mean, American Indians, so I don't know what I'm here, but down there, it's the hardest thing in the world to break them from all of these things with spirits. Now, so Paul is praying that they would have wisdom and knowledge and that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. And that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to enlighten the eyes that we can see spiritual truths. You know, until truth is internalized, it just has no effect on someone. That's you got to pray about your kids. You can teach them and teach them and teach them, but if they don't internalize, the kids are in trouble. Isn't that right? Haven't the meals been good? Haven't they been good? They really have. This is, they, they feed you well here. But I have one problem. I can eat food, but my body doesn't absorb any of the, any of the uh, nutrients. What's going to happen to me pretty soon? I'm going to be dead. And you can give scripture to your kids and give scripture to your kids so they can quote verses, they can write verses, they can pass Bible IQ tests. And if they're not internalizing scripture, they're spiritually dead. They got a lot of what? Facts. But they don't have any understanding. You got to pray, God, let what they know become part of their life. Isn't that right? They've got to know that. That their eyes and understanding may be enlightened. Why? That they may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints. Do you know who you are in Christ? If you don't know who you are in Christ, let me tell you, friend, you're in trouble. Last night I went to my room and there was this scrungy fellow standing out there. And he said to me, you can't go in here unless you give me $5. So I gave him five bucks and I went in. And I came back and that scrungy guy was there. I came out to talk to a guy and went back. He was standing there again. He said, you can't go in here unless you give me $5. I gave him another $5. He was there this morning. I gave him $5. Turned out to be the director of the mission. <laughs> Things are tough. No. And you know what? How many Christians are giving the enemy five bucks because he says, give me five bucks. You know what we need to say? Get out of here, I'm going to call the authorities. You don't have a right to be here, get out of here. Right? I mean, that's the stand that God wants us to take. You don't have a right to be here, leave. I'm not going to give you my dues. I don't know you a thing. Do you know your inheritance? My mother died. I got a letter from the government and said, you are an heir. You ever been an heir? It's wonderful. Oh, it's thrilling. And they said, how do you want your inheritance? One lump sum, should we invest it for you? Should we do this, should we do that? You know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, or none of the above. No, it said, if you don't understand, we'll send you information on what these things mean. So I thought, I've never been an heir before. I've never had an inheritance, so I checked, send me information. And it was very hard to counsel, you know, people, because I had my own stuff going on inside. They never told me how much. You know, and it was some life insurance thing she had with the government when she worked for the government. So. Eventually, my wife calls and says, Jim, you, there's a, a, a letter here, and it's, it's your inheritance uh, information from the government. I said, open up. Tell me, no, it's written to you. My wife is very proper. It's written to you. You need to open it. I said, okay. So I was worth nothing that afternoon. We did a real quick session. I think you're really doing well. Name of Jesus, leave. <laughs> I get home and open my letter. And the government, and the, they had the nerve when I opened it up. They didn't send me information. They sent my inheritance, $98.58. <laughs> that was exciting to be an heir. And see, Satan is robbing you and lots of us from our inheritance, isn't he? He's robbing us from our inheritance. Why? He likes to blind the mind to truth. That's what he does. Isn't that what he does? Isn't that what scripture says he does? He blinds the mind to truth. Here, I don't know who I am. And I'm trying to accomplish what God has done. I want you to write down, those of you who are taking notes, I want you to write these four words down. The four words are, 
Authority, accountability, affirmation, and acceptance. We, we don't use this every time in counseling, but I use it at times if I pick this up on the person. Authority, accountability, affirmation, and acceptance. And often I do this as an opening. And, uh, and I ask the person, I say, um, as you look at that list, how does God come to you, top down or bottom up? Do you see God basically as an authority figure that way? The majority of the people that I counsel are conservative Christians and of my brand. And they're the vanilla kind. And uh, most every one of them, how do you suppose they see God top down? And those people are performance oriented. They're trying to earn God's acceptance and approval in love. And they never feel it. They never feel accepted by God. They never feel loved. You know why? Because whatever we do is never really what? Enough. Some of your real hard workers are working hard for the wrong reason. And it was so thrilling for me to see that if, if, that's, if that was true, the way I saw God, I was better off lost than I am as a Christian. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? Why am I lost? Because God loves sinners. And that's, doesn't know what the Bible says? If you ever read John 3, 16? For God so loved the what? The world, Ephesians here tells us, that God loved us when we were, what, dead in sins. And now that I'm his child, I have to work like crazy to earn it. Does that make sense? Does it make sense? I hope no one says yes. I'll see you at one. Whoever <laughs> said yes out there. <clears throat> no. God loves me. God loved me when I was a sinner. Now I'm his kid. He still loves me. Right? Do I have to earn God's acceptance? No. I'm accepted in the beloved. That's part of my inheritance. Is God, does God always approve of what I do? No. But I'm always accepted. Isn't that a beautiful thing? There remains a rest for God's people. Will you rest in that? And then labor from that? I'm not laboring so God will love me. I'm not laboring so God will approve me. I'm laboring because he does. I'll tell you, it takes a lot of stress out of the ministry. And you know, you have to realize another real attack of the enemy. And this got me. You know, I told you my first little church that was nowhere, nowhere, California. Really, I mean, it really was nowhere. We were 100 miles, I mean, in California, 100 miles one way from a major grocery store. In California, that's a long ways from somewhere. You know, 200 miles. For you guys, it's nothing. You say, oh, we really, I wish I was living that close to something. But, <clears throat> But there, you know, 200-mile round trip to a pennies or something, that was really something. I was out there in no man's land. And what was I telling you that for? I'm watching the clock and, and I'm trying to think, why, why was I telling you I was out there in nowhere? I don't know. I was out there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> going somewhere. Man, I can't think of what I was going to tell you. It was really good, too. <laughs> oh, my. I was going to close whatever it was, so now we can't close. <laughs> Someone better pray. You're not going to get a break <laughs> until I think of what was the clincher here. Oh, my. Anyway. Yeah, I can't think of it at all. It leaves me totally blank. I think we should probably stop there in our inheritance in Christ and to know what that is and to stand in that. And not let Satan rob me of that, just knowing my identity. What we do is we recommend our counselees buy a book. I give two books free. People buy them that have been there, and they pay for them, and we give them out to the counselees for free. And um, one is by Joseph Carroll. I don't know if you know Joe Carroll. He's the wonderful, wonderful guy that runs the Evangelical Institute in the same town Bob Jones School is. It's a totally different kind of a joint than Bob Jones, but real squeaky. You know, you want to date, do it at home. We don't want that kind of mess at our college. You want to mess up a college, let the kids date. You'd be amazed at how many girls you're going to send home pregnant. I'm talking about a Christian college. You'd be amazed. 
I went to high school. You know how many drug addicts were in my high school in Los Angeles? I didn't know of one. You know how many girls got pregnant when I was there? We had 2,000 kids every, you know, I was there three years, 6,000 kids. You know how many girls got pregnant that I know of in school that was sent home? One. Most of your small Christian schools can't even boast that today. We've come a long ways, but it's not the right direction. Isn't that right? How many Christian schools have locker checks for drugs and alcohol? It's tragic what's going on. Campus Crusade called me on the phone and said, do you realize, Logan, he says, is this going on? They said, you know that most all the girls and fellows that are coming to Christ in these, this particular university have all been involved in perversion in the dorms? So we're shocked. We've never had this before. Been involved in perverted relationships with their dormmates. What is happening? It's not good, is it? We're not going in the right direction. And we need to know who we are in Christ. And I have our people buy this book, and I have them read a chapter a day. It keeps the devil away. There's uh, 31 chapters. At least you get the devil away for five days. And I said, I want you to read a chapter, a chapter a day, and I want you to talk about what, how your life should be different because this is true. If you have children, I encourage you to sit down with your family members, read one chapter on Monday, talk about it for two days so they internalize what should be different in a family because this is true, and then read another chapter on Wednesday. We only read two chapters a week. There's 31 chapters, and they're very small, and it's Living Free in Christ by Neil Anderson. And all he does, he takes all the I am's of Ephesians and does a little exegesis on them. And what should it mean in my life? Because these things are true. Because I am accepted in the beloved. Because there is no condemnation. I don't have condemnation anymore because I'm in Christ. Just a tremendous, it's just a, it's been such a freeing, freeing book for people. It deals with so many of the lies of the enemy. So what we want to take up a, a, tonight before we, I think it's tonight that I'm talking uh, to the ladies where they're vulnerable and come under attack, but we'll pick up the rest of this Ephesian thing of, of what does he mean here? Our inheritance in the verse 19 is the most powerful verse in all of the Bible on God's power, Greek or English. It's amazing. Verse 19 is the most powerful verse in all the Bible on God's power. And what does it mean? And why is it hooked in with demons? And we want to take that up this evening. Uh, let me, and we're going to take a break here, but I, I guess you don't know the, the stuff we're doing the rest of the week. So I want to tell you so it fits in because we're, we're going to deal with really how to help someone to achieve the freedom that Christ has promised every believer. And what we see, uh, five or six steps that help someone to come to freedom and to maintain their freedom. And the first step is the area of repentance. What does that mean? How to take back ground, how to tear down strongholds, how to build towers of truth, how to take thoughts captive, and what does the armor of God mean? And that's what we're going to do from Wednesday on. So we're starting Wednesday night and take those things to the rest of the week because we've skipped ground and we have to skip it till the other group comes so that they can understand what is, what is topos, what does that mean, and how do we take back ground and that whole issue of ground. So if I can be of any help to you, and I'll lay this on the back table, and if you want to flip through it and look at it, there's an address here and see if it would be relevant or helpful to your ministry, um, then you can contact Ed and, and with, on the reservation there or the Sioux Reservation, and I know that he'd be glad to, to work something out with you financially so that um, you could use this. He's a dear brother in Christ. Thank you.